Hey, Karis. You guys doing okay? Doing good? Staying dry? My name is Cameron. Uh, it is an honor to be here uh, speaking with you a little bit longer than usual tonight. Uh, I'm here on the Kairos team. Uh, happy Mother's Day to any mothers that are here or watching. Uh, shameless plug, my mom and my grandma are watching. Hey, um, this is my gift. I hope you guys have felt celebrated today. Uh, miss y'all and love y'all. Um, just wanted to uh, come up here and talk to you guys a little bit about Ruth um, and the story that we're reading into. Um, last week, Amy Joe had uh, an incredible uh, message for us looking into the story of Naomi. Um, and today we continue that uh, working through. When I heard that I was reading uh, or preaching on Ruth on Mother's Day, I was really excited um, and confused. I thought maybe uh, they misscheduled me because I can't preach on biblical womanhood um, and I can't preach on biblical motherhood. And clearly that's what you have to talk about uh, at this point. Thank God we're not doing that. Um, instead, uh, we're going to talk about uh, compassion. Now, a little bit of a catch-up for those of you that weren't here last week. The story of Ruth uh, first starts with a different character. It starts with Naomi and her story. Naomi uh, is married to a man named Elimelech, um, and they flee Israel uh, because of famine and go to Moab. Uh, there, her two sons marry uh, two Moabite women, and tragedy hits. All three of the men pass away, and she is left with two daughters-in-law and no one to provide. So we see um, that this shakes Naomi to the core. And again, Amy Jo uh, talked about how she just has these broken pieces and no way to really reconcile them. And she, she becomes bitter to the world around her and to the Lord. And she's stuck in the middle of this, this tragedy. And she looks at her daughters-in-law and say, or says, I'm going to go home. Don't come with me. It would be far better if you stayed here. And the character of Ruth instead says that she will stay in this incredible moment of loyalty, we hear Ruth say that she will stay with her, that her people will be her people, that Naomi's God will be Ruth's God, and that wherever she is buried, she will be buried there also. It's an incredible moment. And so far away from anything that most of us have ever experienced. And it's incredible to see as this camera pans away from this bitter Naomi towards Ruth and Boaz the kindness of Jesus and the provision that Naomi doesn't see yet, but God is going to reveal to these two through each other. It's great um, to see this and, and to think of the compassion that we're seeing here. Uh, it's also, I think, pretty cool to, that we're talking about compassion on Mother's Day. I think there's something so uh, innate when you think of the idea of a mom's compassion that's really, really interesting. Maybe some of you guys have the same home situation at home where, uh, say, if you were running and you fell down scraped up your knee, dad might say, get up and shake it off, but mom might be the one that would walk up and say, you all right? Are you okay? Pick you up, coddle you, walk you away. You're crying, fake tears probably. <laughs> but she's gonna sit there, she'll kiss it to make it better, and she's going to make sure that you're okay. And there's something so healing about that kind of compassion that you need in the moment, right? I was thinking, uh, I was talking to my mom earlier today, and I was thinking about a time um, that I remember very distinctly. Uh, probably fifth grade, um, was riding with her, going to get some food, right? Um, it was like about lunchtime, and we see, uh, we see this man on the side of the road. Now, we didn't have a ton during this season. It was a pretty bad economic time for everyone involved. Didn't have a lot going on, and so um, we were trying to be a little conservative on what we were buying. And so I was 
excited to get some food. I wanted probably more food than I needed to. I was a pretty chubby kid um, at this point. Um, so wondering why mom wasn't going to let me get my third um, McDouble at McDonald's for lunch. Obviously, there are health reasons for that. However, um, she looks at this man on the side of the road, um, and her heart just breaks for him. I didn't even notice him. I didn't see him. I was upset because I wanted more food. She sees him, and she just starts talking to me, saying, I think we need to go back and get something for him. I couldn't care less, honestly. Oh, I think we need to go back and get something for him. And she starts talking about this over and over again. So she says, all right, uh, we're just going to stop off at Subway real quick and grab him something. She runs inside. I've never seen her this excited at this point. She was like, she's like, oh, yeah, get this, get this. And it just spares no expense on this sub. Just throws a ton of extras on there, gets him a bag of chips, gets back in the car, and she drives to go find him. Well, he's gone. Nowhere to be found, and she's taking it personal now. She starts driving around, and she's fine at first, and then she like, rolls the window down. She's looking around, doesn't see anything. And she, she's like now holding on to this sub a little too tightly. I'm sitting in this side seat like, are you okay? It's, it's fine. He's probably going somewhere else. It's hot. And she drives around over and over again, and then you see it. She sees him on a side street, and like a lion to a gazelle, this woman whips this white conversion van around and wheels around to him. Now, this man just sees a white van barreling down the road with this small blonde woman wielding a meatball sub like a club, like, like she's going to throw it at him. I'm sitting in the passenger seat thinking, this man's terrified for his life, probably. He thinks he's about to go down. She wheels in front of him. He's terrified, grabs his dog tight, and she says, out of breath, I've got a sub for you. I think out of fear and pure fear alone, he takes the sandwich, says thank you, and walks away. And the smile on my mom's face, I couldn't tell if it was because she blessed someone or it was a victory from a hunt. But she was very proud in that moment. I learned two things that day. First is this. I can never successfully run away because I don't want whatever I just saw to come after me. Second thing is this. I didn't even see the man because I was so focused on what I wanted and what my needs were and that I didn't feel satisfied that I couldn't care less about who was on the side of the road. Not only that, when she highlighted it, I felt bitter because I wanted what I wanted. Oh, so I can't, I can't get the food that I want, but you're going to pay the extra money to get something for him. And the difference between these two moments is that my mom saw someone in need, and instead of focusing on herself, she let her heart break for that person. She saw suffering, and she wanted to correct it. So I think there's a human tendency here for us to focus on ourselves and who we are and what our needs are and what our struggles are, and we get so insecure and caught up in our own crisis, caught up in our own struggles, that we end up being blind to the suffering of others. I think this text has a word for us in that and what it looks like to be compassionate. I think it's this, the calling of God is to lean into the confidence of God so that we can show the compassion of God. The calling of God is to lean into the confidence of God to show the compassion of God. 
That's what we see here in the story of Ruth. So again, a little context here. Ruth is now the focus of the story. We go from a bitter Naomi to a faithful and probably fearful woman. She's just said yes to going into a land that she should not be in. She is a Moabite. A little refresh in history. Moab and Israel are not cool. These are adversaries. These are enemies. In Numbers 25, we, we hear terrible stories about the women of Moab and how they seduce the men of Israel into idolatry. And so to, to be a Moabite woman walking into Israel isn't a good thing, let alone a widow, someone who is poor, defenseless, marginalized, and saying yes to following Naomi puts her in danger. Again, as we read towards the end of the chapter, there's a fear of assault. There's a fear of poverty here. She is saying yes to being compassionate towards Naomi. However, it's at great personal risk for herself. But she's strategic and she knows I have to figure out some way to feed us. And so she learns of this custom, this Levitical law about gleaning. Gleaning essentially is, is the right for a foreigner a, a, someone who is impoverished to be able to, to go into a field afterwards, after harvest, and, and collect what has not been collected from the outskirts. She knows this, and she decides that um, this is probably her best chance. And see, for Ruth, this can't be easy. She knows what she's up against. She knows what she should be afraid of. She knows what she said yes to. She knows what's at risk but she looks on Naomi in her helpless state and in her bitterness and says, I'm going to be here still. There's a compassion native to Ruth that is striking, whatever the cost. This journey to Israel can't be easy for her. The danger, presence, again, think about when we fast, it's to remind us, right? To, to remind us of, of the things of God, and, and hunger does that. When you're hungry, you're reminded about how hungry you are. You're reminded about how good food is. And this hunger probably is reminding her of a lot of terrible things. See, Naomi's had a rough life, but Ruth is going through it also. Maybe when she's hungry, she thinks of her husband not being there anymore. Maybe when she's hungry, she thinks of how unsafe she is. And when she's hungry, she's feeling how insecure her future is. These two are probably starving. They're rationing food. They're trying to figure out where their next meal is going to be. And as they feel all of these things, I look in this story and I think of the times when maybe I, we have felt the same way, when I have felt the same way of being in lack or need or want. And all that I can think of is where I'm at in that moment. Maybe you feel the same way. Maybe you have felt that moment where something is so undeniably wrong that all you can do is focus on this, and you get wrapped up in it. You hear the reassurance of other people, people outside saying it's going to be okay, but all you can think of is where is my provision? Maybe you feel marginalized or cast off. Maybe you wonder where God's providence is. Maybe you're wondering, when are the promises of God going to come through for me? You read things like Psalm 104, when, God, or when the psalmist is talking about God crafting the universe and supplying the needs of all things. And it says, the earth itself 
is satisfied by your work, and yet you hear that and you think, yeah, the earth itself may be, but what about mine? When will I be satisfied? Will you forget me? That's certainly where Naomi is, and I'm sure that's probably where Ruth is struggling to not be. Maybe you're like me, and sometimes there's a doubt in your head that God's going to pull through, that God sees where you are. And yet there's a curiosity here that I have when it comes to Ruth, because in the face of that hardship, she still says yes and goes to work. I don't understand that confidence sometimes in God. I don't understand where that comes from. She just learned probably about, or is still learning about the the Judeo-Christian God, the God of Israel that she is adopting from Naomi and from her late husband. And she's trying to figure out who this person is, but she knows who she is called to be, and that is to be next to Naomi. Her confidence doesn't lie in the fact that she has hopes and dreams that things are going to be okay. She knows who she's supposed to be, and that's to be by, by Naomi's side. That's to be a faithful friend. A calling of God is to lean into the confidence we have in God to show the compassion of God. And it's a miracle to see that that can happen here. And I think the, the question is, how is this possible And it's because we see that God is looking on Ruth in the same way that Ruth is looking on Naomi. With a compassion far greater than is rational or understandable. God is looking at Ruth and providing for her way before she even has an idea of what is going on here. And we see that in the character of Boaz. Enter Boaz, the the white knight of the story. Again, if you, Ruth has this connotation of a big romantic book, this love story of faithful marriage and waiting and, and God's promises, and it is all of that. And, and Boaz is this incredible character. He's a good man, a good man. His employees like him. Everyone loves it when he's around. People are smiling, saying, yes, bless you too, sir. He eats with his employees. There's no separation here, and he notices new people on the field. It's a good dude. And so we have this kind of white knight presence here with Boaz, and he sees her gleaning. And yeah, here's the thing. Maybe he is attracted to her. Maybe he sees Ruth and and says, who is that woman over there? Maybe that's what that is. But that doesn't answer the question after that. Because he says, oh, who is Ruth? Who is that? Oh, she's a Moabite. Oh. What are my family members going to say? Oh, she's a widow. Oh, she's impoverished. Oh, she's in trouble. And all of these reasons for him to distance himself from her. But I think the cool thing is that I think it, at this point it has very little to do with a romantic line or a romantic narrative. I think it has to do with who Boaz is, which is he is a good man, and that is because of who his God is. That is because of who he serves. See, Boaz is a heartbreaker. In every way. Yet romantically cool, whatever. You can have that line, but this is much more important. He's a heartbreaker because he's willing to break his own heart, which I think is something that we have to learn how to do. The question is, how willing are you to break your own heart for those that are around you? How willing are you to to let your heart be broken for the people that you might not notice very often? 
the people that are in need around you that you don't often interact with. She hears him lavishing all this on to her. He sees her, notices her, and brings her in, brings her to the table and says, glean from my people, you're under my protection now, and you will not go hungry. And she says, I don't deserve this. I'm not worthy of this compassion. It's overwhelming. But he sees her, and he sees her future when she can't see it. And it's the same thing that God does for us. He's willing to provide and give her more than she is worthy of because he sees her just like the way that she saw Naomi. There's this pattern of compassion that goes from generation to generation here where Ruth is lavishing all of this onto Naomi, and that is what he sees. He sees the righteousness of God in Ruth and says, because of this, the Lord reward you. He can only do what his spirit is moving him to do, which is provide. And again, in the same way that God sees Ruth, he is lavishing this on her. God is doing what he's been doing this entire time, which is providing for her. See, before she was a Moabite, before she was alive, God created a Levitical law that would provide for her. Before she came to Israel, God was raising up a man in Boaz in Israel that would provide for her. And he is showing her kindly over and over again before Boaz is her first love or her second love, before Boaz is her husband, that God is her first love and God is her first provider and he will be faithful to do that still. In the same way before any of us believed or thought to believe, God was providing a way and making a way for us as well. So the question naturally is this, do you see God as provider? Better yet, are you confident enough in God as provider to notice the people around you? God's compassion for us should compel us to do the same. We're called to be heartbreakers, but we can't do that unless we have the confidence of God to say that he will be heartbroken for us as well. That we can get our eyes off of our own stuff for a little bit. And know that God is a provider that will take care of that. That we can look up and let that go long enough to say, well, what do you need, though? How can I be of service to you? How can I help you? Can we be confident enough that we can trust God with our provision and trust God with his love and that what he says is true? As Boaz's heart breaks for Ruth, Ruth's heart breaks for Naomi, and God's heart is breaking for all of us and our struggles and our trials, we should be able to break our own for the marginalized, the outcast, the needy. My question is this, and I look at myself, when was the last time I saw someone in need as an emergency? When was the last time I looked at someone in a situation like Ruth or Naomi, and my first instinct was, oh, I gotta, I gotta go and help that. Are we a people that's going to break our hearts? Do we have confidence in God's love for us enough to be confident enough to love someone else? Here's the thing, we have a lot of chances to do this all the time, 
I could talk about application until I'm blue in the face. I could talk about service needs and, and the ways that you can love other people. I think the Holy Spirit's really good at that, though. So if there's something that's convicting you or pulling you this way in that moment, investigate that road on your own time. And we might have different thoughts of ways that we could help people all day long, and that's great. But here's the one thing that's very clear, and that's the heart of the Lord towards the marginalized and the needy. And we can see that because of how we see God loving Ruth, but better yet, you can probably see it more clearly with how he has loved you. The compassion with which he has loved you should drive you to show that same compassion to somebody else. You are an agent of his love. And you are a agent of compassion, an agent that is able to help when things get difficult. That can look like a lot of things, whether it's someone sitting outside in the rain right now on the side of the road that needs somewhere warm to stay, or maybe it's someone sitting alone right here that doesn't have someone to sit with at church. Maybe it's someone with a financial need or a physical need that you can meet that's really tangible, or maybe it's that friend that's going through a tough season, but it's really draining to talk to them right now. Maybe I'll let that phone call go to voicemail. There's a lot of ways that we can do that. We never know what crisis does to someone. Boaz doesn't see what crisis looks like for Ruth. He just sees that she's in trouble. He doesn't know the weight of what she's carrying in the moment. And we don't always know the weight of what other people are carrying. There's no way that you can know how heavy something rests on the soul of somebody else, even if it seems like it's not that big of a deal. You can know the facts, but you can never know the weight. But what you can do is promise to carry it, to put your heart in a place where it can be broken for somebody else, to let your heart be vulnerable enough and know that God's got your heart and your situation so you can help with somebody else's. We have to address why our hearts are hardened towards brokenness. Crisis can look like so many things, and crisis is relative. How we can address a crisis is relative, but the one thing that can't be relative is our compassion. We have to address what it is that makes us shirk away, what it is that makes us so caught up in our own stuff that we would rather keep our distance, look the other way, or maybe not even look up at all. Don't get so caught up in your circumstances that you can't be Jesus to somebody else. And especially in those moments when you think and you're tempted to say, well, I'm in pain or, well, I have needs or, well, I have this, this, and this. That is the moment where you need to, with as much confidence and courage as you can, say, but I'll give that to the Lord if it means that I can go be who he needs me to be for somebody else. See, the confidence of Boaz to love Ruth doesn't come from any romantic narrative. It doesn't come from the fact that he has so much. It comes from who he is and who God is calling him to be. The confidence that Ruth has to walk directly towards danger doesn't come from the fact that she's so strong and brave. It comes from the fact that she knows who the Lord has called her to be. So here's the thing. Um, This is where we get to let you off the hook a little bit. You don't have to do any of this. I know it sounds like a big call to arms sort of a thing, but the good news is you don't have to do any of this. You can stay right where you are. 
You can leave here tonight and, and be a worried heart so focused on your own stuff that you're of no use to anyone else. You can do that. You can stay a calloused heart, too. That's my work. It is happy to look the other way, as long as it's convenient. A selfish heart is always going to look for number one, because secretly you don't trust that God's looking out for you. So you'll take care of that. You can change nothing, and that's okay. But what if we believe what the Lord said is good and right, and that his provision has gone far before us, and will continue to, so that we have the freedom to show Christ to those in the moment? What if we said that we trusted God with our present in order to brighten someone else's future? And what if we became our own heartbreaker that would shatter our hearts and let whatever God would want to do reign in us because we can trust him with who he is and what we're going through? Know that God is your provider and has provided for you far ahead of time. Know that with certainty because it's a promise. But know that he has something for you here and your obedience and your compassion can only go as far as your confidence that he will treat you in the same way. Jesus is your better Boaz. And he will treat you far better than you could ever imagine. I think it's time we try and be like him. Amen. Amen. So we're going to take 120 seconds. At Kairos, we like to preach the gospel clearly and give your soul some space to respond. Again, in this moment, if there's anything that has stuck out to you, keep having that conversation. Jacoby's going to come up and pastor us through that. So as we listen in together to the voice of our good shepherd, our father who speaks to us, uh, just a couple questions to help guide that time as you process and reflect with the Lord. Where do you need a renewed confidence in God's provision and his kindness? I think it's easy in the moments where it's all working out to uh, trust the Lord that he will keep providing and he will continue to be good and continue to be kind um, but I have a feeling that some of us are a little needy in this season in many different ways. I don't know where you feel like you lack, but I wonder if we might collectively remember how God has provided and how God has bestowed his kindness on ways that we have started to forget. Where do you need to remember and be renewed? Where do you need the Lord to break your heart for the things that break his? Where have you turned a blind eye or become so turned in on yourself that you can't see past your own two feet? Where do you need the Lord to lift your head, to lock eyes with him and to lock eyes with the people who you looked past and say, break my heart for them, Lord. Help me see. Listen in together and ask the Lord to speak clearly so we can believe confidently. Let's listen in together.